You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Wanting to do what God would have for them to do and, and line their lives up with the Lord. And, and so they'll approach the Word of God like it's an owner's manual. And we even, I mean, probably everybody in the room has heard somebody teach it that way. And it's not that that's actually wrong. I mean, the Word does act as an owner's manual. It's just that that's only a tiny fraction of what it does. And if we're approaching it that way, we'll get into that a little more as we get up the line here. But if, if we're approaching it that way, then we it tends to be... Uh, our whole relationship with the word is about, okay, uh, show me the next steps to do and I will do them. And, and it lacks relationship a lot of times. And at a lot of times we, we miss the power that's in the word to actually bring itself to pass. So that's kind of where I want to go tonight. And we'll get over to James chapter one a little bit where we find the, those verses about being a doer and not just a hearer. But um, I want to start and I just want to go through, I'm just going to read uh, a bunch of scriptures to you and let you kind of soak in them, think about them. Um, and, and these are just verses, I mean, we could come up with dozens of these uh, about the Word of God and about what it is and what it's, you know, what role it has and the power of it. And so I just want to go through a bunch of these. And again, these are just ones that I just sat there and and just spent some time and I, and I felt like just let the Lord... Uh, Breathe these into me again. And so, so that's what we're going to do starting off. And so I want to start with John uh, 17, 17, where Jesus said he was praying for the church. He was praying for believers. And he said, sanctify them uh, by the truth or with the truth. Use the truth to sanctify them. He's asking the Father to sanctify us with truth. And that word sanctify is just, uh, you know, kind of a religious word that means separate us to God and for his purposes. And, and it also does have the connotation of becoming holy, but primarily it's being separated from contaminating elements and being separated to God and being uh, his unique possession and that kind of thing. And, and Jesus was saying, do that with truth. And then he finishes the statement. He says, your word, Father, is truth. And we've talked quite a bit around here lately about how that word truth in the Greek really means reality, as opposed to fact, it means spiritual reality, what God, you know, eternal reality is a good way to say it. So Jesus is saying, with your word, Father, is eternal reality. And in the, in the Greek language, that means reality as opposed to what we, what we call fact, natural facts, things that are real, but they're not lasting. They're not, they're all going to pass away, okay? Uh, so reality as opposed to fact um, it means the reality that lies at the base of appearance. In, in other words, there's, there's what appears to be, but then there's reality that doesn't change. There's truth that doesn't change. Um, the Greeks believe that truth or this word meant the essence, or I guess that would be the, uh, the primary composition, might be a way to say it, of all matter. Uh, it's, it's truth was seen as the raw material that matter came from. And we know, we believe that God spoke everything into being, right? That everything came from nothing and, and that the Lord spoke that out. So Jesus said there, sanctify them, set them apart for yourself by the word and, or by the truth and your word, Father, is truth. So that's what 
that's a statement straight from Jesus. The Father's word is truth, okay? Uh, again, a lot of these will be real familiar to you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. <clears throat> it says, and this is the Amplified Bible, it says, the word that God speaks is alive and full of power. It's active, operative, energizing, and effective. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit, and the joints, and the marrow, and the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. So, so God's word acts in that way on the inside of us. Not only is it powerful and alive and active, it's not just... You know, there again, think about the owner's manual, maybe in your car or something. It's, it's not really alive, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's, you know, it's handy, but it's not alive. It doesn't speak to you. It doesn't uh, lodge on the inside of you and then produce something. It just gives you instruction. It just tells you facts, right? And, and this verse says that the word that God speaks, which we can hear, okay, is alive and it's full of power. And then it goes into the heart and it divides. It separates and judges and sifts the different thoughts and ideas that are going on in us. And it'll, it'll rise up in you. You know, it'll, you'll be thinking something or doing something or you'll run into a situation and the word that you've taken into your heart will actually, I mean, it'll come up in you and it'll, it'll agree with something or disagree with something or give you a different direction or suggest something to you or, or whatever. I mean, it, it speaks to you. And, and it will often separate thoughts. It'll, you'll know in your heart. And the Word and the Spirit, I think, you know, it's almost impossible to separate the two. They are different, but, I mean, the Spirit works with the Word constantly and the Word points to the Spirit constantly. And so... Um, the, the word will come up in your heart and it will confront you or confirm something that you're thinking or wanting to do. I mean, it's, it's powerful. It's alive. Okay, it's, it's alive. All right. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus said, It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we keep seeing that, what God is speaking, what God is speaking. So you have the written word which God breathed into the hearts of people and they wrote down, and it is still alive. The Bible just isn't like any other book. It is alive. Those words are alive, but you also have the Holy Spirit speaking to you, speaking sometimes exactly what is written or the same idea that is written or speaking to you. But, but Jesus said we live from that. Man wasn't designed to live by natural food alone. And so again there, then he kind of compares. I mean, he's using that analogy because the word is like food for our spirit. And so we don't eat just once, you know, sometimes we wish we did, but we don't eat just once, you know, we eat again and again because it get, what we eat gets used up, you know, and we need to eat again. And it's the same thing with the word. It's got to be a continual feeding on the word or else it is. I mean, how often do you go to the manual in your car? I do once in a while, you know, and when, when the car's new, you know, or new to you, you probably go more often. When we got that car, I didn't know how anything worked. None of it was the same as the other cars we'd had, and I have had to spend a lot of time in the manual just figuring out how to, you know, do, so, yeah, do something simple. Don't get Karen started. <laughs> Germans, I don't know. 
She does. It's a blessing. Germans are a different breed. Uh, so, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, it tells us something. We're designed to be feeding on the word of God. In John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh, so he's making that comparison between spirit and flesh. The flesh conveys no benefit whatever. You know, there's nothing eternal that comes from the, from the flesh. He says there's no profit in it in the Amplified Bible. And then he says, the words that I have been speaking to you are spirit and life. And that's just, to me, that's just an amazing thing. When the Lord speaks to us, there's a release of the spirit. There is life in the word. And we know, and I think, I think Annie was just bringing those out. I don't know. There's been a lot going on. <laughs> but I think it was, weren't you just last week talking about John chapter 1 and how, yeah, and how Jesus is the word and has been the word eternally and is still the word. So I mean, Eve, the word took on flesh and dwelt among us. It was the word. It was what, it was the expression of God that took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we have, so we have the spoken word. We have Jesus as the word. We have the written word. But he, he said, the words that I've been speaking to you, they are spirit and life. And that word spirit, of course, is they're the breath of God. You know, they, something of God's nature. You know, when, when you release breath, you release a part of your DNA. You release, you know, there's, there's stuff that comes out that, thank goodness, we don't see very much, you know. And, uh, but, but it's the same with the Word of God. It releases something of Him. Uh, and so we can breathe that in. We can receive that word into our hearts. In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, this is one we talk about a lot. It says, for with God, nothing is ever impossible. That's just a great thought all by itself. And no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. No word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. And from that, we get this idea that we talk about a lot, that the word carries the ability within itself to bring itself to pass. And that's another difference from a manual. A manual just tells you what to do. It doesn't do it for you. You know, I mean, the manual for your car doesn't figure out how to turn on the lights. It tells you what to do, and then you can do it, and, and that's helpful. That's useful. But the word of God actually contains power to transform us and, and change our life. Second Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the word is God-breathed. It equips us. It, it's, it brings God's ability and releases it into us so that we can be different than we were, we can live differently than, and, and it can be real. It's not, again, it's not just, we're not just looking at the manual and then trying to perform the task. We are receiving life and that life changes us. It, it, uh, it transforms us on the inside, Okay. I know you know this, but it's just good stuff to think about. Joshua 1.8. 
This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may observe and do according to all that's written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous and then you shall deal wisely and have good success. Prosperous, wise, successful. Because of meditating the word of God. We're probably not going to get to all that tonight, but I mean, when we think about the word, we need to have the habit in our life. We're going to, we say, well, you've got to feed on the word. Well, how in the heck do I do that? You read it, but you meditate on it. And this was something that when we were first coming up, I mean, you know, it was a, it was a prevalent teaching in the body of Christ was meditating the word. And then for some reason, it seems like we kind of got away from it. And I see it kind of coming around again. I hear different people uh, coming back to it. But, but it's a huge, and, and what that means is you revolve it in your mind you do this someplace where you can do it anywhere, but it's good to do it where you can actually focus, close your eyes, revolve the word in your mind, think the scripture through or speak it to yourself over and over and over and over again. And, and in that, the Spirit of God does something in that where the life and the word gets released into us. It really is like chewing and, and feeding on the word of God. And you want to get your imagination involved in it. It's really good if you can speak it too. But you want to let the word paint pictures in your heart of what it's saying and of what it means to you or what it says about God. And, and that's in the Hebrew language, that's what it means. It means to revolve in the mind, to imagine and to mutter or speak softly to yourself. And that's what that word meditate means. So it's not the same as Eastern meditation where you empty all of your thoughts at all. It, it is a time where you take the word of God, a little piece of the word of God, and you chew on it and chew on it and chew on it. And it's honestly one of the most productive things I've ever come across to do with, with the word. But it says when we do that, if we do that on a habitual basis, we're going to be empowered to do what is written in it. And we'll, it'll make our way prosperous. You'll deal wisely. Wisdom will be released in you and you'll have good success. All right, Psalm 1 verses 1 through 3 says very much the same thing. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight, so we, so we love this, this is pleasurable, his delight is in the law of the Lord or the word of God. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. So that's a picture of, you know, you've got this tree, it's planted by the water. I was thinking about this, you know, this last summer was so dry. And like our field out here, this is the first time we've ever seen it where it's just, I mean, there's nothing there. There's starting to be some little greenies coming up now, but I mean, it was just, there's nothing there. It was completely dead. And remember, we talked about it a lot in the summer. It's like we didn't get to, see, we didn't have the flowers. We didn't have the the hills themselves, even though they're sage, they're greener in the summer, you know, than they are in the winter. We didn't have any of that. It was all just brown, except right by the river. Those trees were green. And, and that's how it is in New Mexico. Any place there's a little bit of water, there's a green line, you know, and that's the only place there's a green line. You can always tell where there's any little trickle of water because there's some green. And, and that's what this is talking about, that meditating the word is like that. It's like you're planted right by the streams of water. So when there are dry times, you don't notice it. You don't, 
you don't know it, notice it because you're not dry, because you're feeding on the Lord. There are things that happen, and you may be aware of it, but your, your life is not impacted by it. Your leaf doesn't wither. Okay, and again, it says whatever uh, he does will prosper. I thought of another one during while we were worshiping, and again, you know, very familiar verse, Isaiah 55 Verse 10, I, I love this one. It says, For as the rain and snow come down from the heavens and return not there again, but water the earth and make it bring forth and sprout, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without producing any effect or useless, but it shall accomplish that which I please and purpose, and it shall prosper in the thing which I, for which I sent it. And that is a great verse, verses 10 and 11, Isaiah 55. So, so the word releases all of this life, and we can be in a place, we can, we can develop some disciplines and some habits where we're just constantly feeding off it. And, and I don't want anybody to be, if you've never really had that experience, I don't want you to be frustrated about it or discouraged about it. Just, just start doing it. Just start going to the Word in a real childlike heart and, and just spend time in it. And it's not like every single time that I open my Bible, I have some glorious experience. But over the course of life, it keeps you alive and keeps you full. And a lot of times you do really get the wisdom that you're needing or uh, later that day or the next week or the next month or something, what, what was felt alive one day comes up and it's necessary for that time. Uh, you know, God often, you know, he equips us ahead of time for things through his word. So one more, Psalm 119, 105, uh, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. So it's, it's something that's there to direct the course of our life. It's something that's there to light the way, to give us revelation, all those kinds of things. And again, I, I know, uh, you know, we could just go on and on and on. I mean, there's verse after verse after verse um, about this, about how powerful and rich and life-giving the Word is. So I do want to, let's go over to James chapter 1. We're going to go to, we're going to start in uh, verse 19, James chapter 1, verse 19. So this is where James comes along and he gives us this picture of the word that again um, is very different from just thinking of it as an owner's manual for life. And, and I don't know, has, any, has anybody else heard that, taught that way that the word is an owner's manual? It's just a common, yeah, it's a common teaching. And again, I'm not... I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying, what I was thinking about today was my phone, wherever it might be, here it is. Um, you know, being at the age that we are, when computers first came out, they were pretty cool. But I mean, at first, they filled rooms and did very little. And I don't think I ever imagined that we would be able to carry around this much computing power in a little package like this. I don't, I mean, the whole idea even of cordless phones was, you know. So, so I've got this phone, and if that's great, but if all I ever did with this phone was used Google, and I asked questions and looked things up, that would be pretty useful in my life. You know, it'd be pretty useful. You can learn a lot of stuff uh, from Google, but... 
so, I mean, that's kind of that manual idea. You can, go to the, you can go to the Word and you can find out how life is supposed to work. You can learn what you're supposed to do in this situation. You can get that kind of information from the Word. And that would be kind of like an owner's manual for life. I can find out how am I supposed to do relationship? How am I, what am I supposed to do with my money? You know, what, how am I supposed to do this? You can find those things out and that's good. But you're using a tiny, tiny portion of the power of the word if that's all you do. This phone, I mean, I was thinking today, you know, primarily, it's supposed to be a communication device, you know. And we use it that way once in a while, uh, mostly with text, you know. I mean, who talks on the phone anymore, you know? Do we, do we talk? Yeah. Telemarketers. <laughs> I know people do. Uh, but... But it's so nice not to have to, you know, to just get a quick... Anyway, let's not go on that. Um, it's supposed to, you know, there, it has multiple ways to let people connect. And it has all kinds of apps. And I only use a tiny portion of what it can do. The same with the computer. I mean, it's, I use what I use, but I don't use, you know, a one one-hundredth of what it could do and can do and it's kind of that way when we approach the word just in that fashion of it's an owner's manual for my life. God, just give me instruction. It, it actually has power within it. The word is power within it. It's food for our spirit. It's, it's the breath of God. It's, it's all of these things that can just draw in a very supernatural way. So it's not just intellectual. It's not just, okay, I need this answer, which again, that's fine. You know, uh, the Holy Spirit dives into the deep things of God like a search engine and brings them out and shows them to us. I mean, that's all fine. Just realize that there's more to it than that. The word is more like seed and more like food than it is like an encyclopedia. Okay, does that make sense? So, so James comes along here and actually, uh, I think I'm starting in verse 21. Let me go, actually, why don't I turn to this instead of just floundering around here. I'm going to go to a short one. Um, oh, that's why I had it. Yeah, we can start in verse 19. We're headed for those other verses. But he, he, he starts talking about listening in the first place, which he's talking about relationships, but I just think it's really a good context to think about the Word of God. He says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, we take that generally in a relational context. If we're going to have a good relationship, we need to listen more than we speak and not let you know our emotions get out of control and that kind of thing. Uh, but the same is true when we're coming to the Word of God. We need to come to listen. You know, not just, you know, when we think about our quiet time with God, it should be a quiet time. That's where we got that term. You know, it's a time for us to be quiet before God and to listen for God and to absorb the Word and to read, and to meditate, and to be quiet. And then we can have, absolutely, we have prayer time. We can ask questions. We can do that. But, but be quick to listen, and slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So, you know, in the context of the word, we don't want to just go in with all of our problems every day. We don't want our problems on the throne when we're in God's throne room. Okay?
So jump down to verse 21. It says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Accept the word planted in you. So he immediately takes us out of that context of a manual. He immediately starts talking about something that would be planted in us. And, and he tells us to accept the word with humility. So we are coming to receive. We are coming to take what God says, not to argue with him, not to throw up, you know, whatever, but to come. And, and I just pulled this out of what we were talking about on Sunday, I, to receive and welcome the word, to receive with that submissive wonder that we talked about a little bit on Sunday. I think when we approach our time with God with that attitude, we're submitted, we're humble, we're yielded, Lord, say whatever you want to say. We get so much more when we're in that attitude. And what would be the other, so many times, again, because we do have issues and we do need wisdom, and we do need to know, you know, what to do. And, and it's not that, you know, God, God says, ask for wisdom and I'll give you wisdom, okay? So he's good with that. But again, if, if we're always approaching it, when I go to that manual in the car, I'm trying to solve a problem. I'm trying to figure out how does this work, you know? The real bummer is when the glove box accidentally loves it, or locks itself and the manual's in the glove box. That's a problem. But Yeah, yeah. No, screwdriver. Anyway, um, that's when you go to Google and say, how do you get out of the glove? Is anybody's glove box stick? Anyway, stay on track, John. Focus. Uh, so, so we want to go with that accepting and, and humble attitude. And he says, accept the word planted in you. And that word planted means to be implanted. It is something being plant, you know, <laughs> planted in you or engrafted. And when we think about that, it's, it's when we, we usually think about that in terms of a tree and you've got a healthy tree and you bring a branch from something else, you know, a different kind of tree into it. And it starts to draw on the life that's in that tree. So it's being engrafted. It, it then seals up and it becomes a part of that tree. There's this union that's going on. It's the same thing when we plant a seed. You know, that's, that's life being placed somewhere so that it will grow, so that it will produce something. But it's when we plant a seed, we're, we're putting it into a place. So, and James here says, you know, humbly accept the word which can save our souls. And so that word or that phrase, save our souls, it's in that present continuous tense in the Greek that we don't really have in the English. It means it's going on right now, but it doesn't stop. It goes on forever. And it means it will continually, the word will continually deliver us and release the power of our salvation in and through us. It'll continually deliver us and it will continually release the power of our salvation in us and through us. You know, the word, and I'm not going to talk about this tonight. We may talk about it Sunday, I don't know. But, you know, the, the Bible talks about our salvation in terms of we were saved when we gave our lives to Jesus. And we are being saved in the renewing of our minds and the renewing of our soul. 
And it also says you shall be saved because our, our salvation will come to a fullness when he comes back or we go to meet him. And so all three of those together are, are happening. This verse is talking about that the word working in us will produce salvation. It will release the power of salvation. It will saturate us with the power of salvation. When we receive it implanted, in our hearts. So again, it's that it's that seed idea. You know, he's presenting this uh, to us as that the word is seed. And of course, Jesus talked about it that way too in Mark chapter four, John fifteen. And so I was thinking about seeds, and I was you know again just on this contrast between Emmanuel and and what this is saying. You know, a seed you can pick up a kernel of corn or whatever doesn't. Uh, it doesn't give you the dimensions of a corn plant. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't give you that kind of information. It isn't for that. It's, it's to be planted in the ground to produce a corn plant. You know, it, it isn't an instruction manual about corn. It's a seed. And that's what he's saying about the word. It's a seed. Receive it as a seed. That's what God designed his word to be, is a seed that goes into our heart and when, when we plant seeds, there has to be a process to that. There has to be, to, for it to do its thing and do what it was designed to do, there has to be a process. And we'll talk about that in just a second here. So let me give you another verse. You guys okay? You with me? Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. This is just another place that this comes up. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church there, and he says, I planted, okay, he's talking about his ministry to them. Right, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God all the while was making it grow and giving the increase. So, so he planted the seed into those people. He planted the word into those people. Apollos came along and spoke the word over that same group of people. Another minister came along. So there was, so the gospel was being planted and then with other people ministering and speaking and, and doing whatever they did, the gospel was being nurtured. It was being watered. Paul says it was being watered. So again, you have this, this whole idea that this is how the gospel, God's word, this is how it works. And he goes on, uh, and I'm skipping a little bit here, but he says, So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but only God who makes it grow and become greater. And then in verse 9, he says, for we, uh, speaking of the, the apostle, he and, he and Apollos, okay? He says, we are fellow workmen with God. And he says, you are God's garden and vineyard and field under cultivation. We are God's field under cultivation. He's cultivating something in our lives. He's, he's sowing seed into our lives. He's producing in our lives. And again, if you read Mark 4, we're not going to read it tonight. But read, I, I'd encourage you to go back to it, no matter how familiar you, are, familiar you are with the parables there about the sower sows the word, the sower sows the seed. And Jesus talks about it. And he talks about the different conditions of heart there and how the condition of our heart has everything to do with whether the word can produce in our life or not. And the interesting thing is in there, the seed is never in question. The seed always has the ability to produce the bumper crop, but the condition of our hearts 
and what goes on there and whether we allow somebody to steal the seed that's sown into us out of our hearts and things like that, you know, that, that has everything to do with what the word will produce in us. So it's never the word's fault when we don't receive the life that's in the word. It has to do with what's going on in our hearts. And you know that, I just want to go back to that for a second, just feel like I should. That, that is such a huge thing, such a big idea about when we, you know, we come into church or we, you know, whatever, gather with some friends for prayer or have your prayer time or whatever, any time that God has sown stuff into your heart, there's an enemy that's going to come. If And, and the picture in that, in that parable is that, that it's when it hits hard ground, when it isn't received and in, as with humility and allowed to be planted deeply in us, when it just, the word comes, but it's either rejected or it just hits hardness in our heart. It's not received. And it says that the thief will come immediately. Jesus compares it to birds coming and eating up the seed that's there. He'll come immediately and try and steal it out of our hearts. And that happens so often when you'll have a great prayer time in the morning and then uh, you know, quiet time, devotional time with God and you'll get everything and then you'll go to work and stuff just starts happening and you start to get angry with people or you know things like that. You allow yourself to leave that seed of what God said laying up on top of your heart and it'll get stolen from you and you'll forget all about it. And it and it won't produce. And God will come back. He's faithful. He'll come back and work in your heart and sow some more. But I'm just saying it. it's a big idea to always, when you go out of a place, always do not let the seed get stolen by getting in a fight with somebody in the parking lot, you know, uh, by getting angry with somebody when you go to the store after church, you know, it's just, it's just one of those common sense things that we have to hang on to. Okay. So we think about the word is like seed. It comes into our hearts. Uh, just a few things about that, you know, um, biology 101, seeds have to be planted, right? They have to be planted. So you've got to allocate a space for seeds. You've got to put them somewhere. It, they don't do any good in the package, you know, and they don't do any good laying it, you know, in a jar in the garage. I mean, you, they, they, have to, they have to have a place and a, and a space, and, and you have to do the actual work of planting and nurturing and cultivation. A seed is not enough to just throw it out there. I wish it was. I'd like gardening if it was, but it's not. And you have to fight weeds and you have to do all those kinds of things if you're going to get a crop. There are things that have to be done for seed to grow. And as far as having seeds need a place, and, and when we're talking about our time with God, it needs a place. It needs, um, there are a number of places in our life where we settle back to receive from God. But I'm talking about your daily time with God your daily time with God. We've found that if we don't find a place in our house where we're comfortable and where we can be at least mostly free from distraction, you've got to find time and you've got to find place to have that time. And at all the different seasons of life, you know, I mean, you guys are in a totally different season of life than Barb is, you know, and, and, you're in a different season of life. And, you know, how far do you live from work? What kind of time do you have in the morning? Are you, 
Uh, I was just talking to a couple the other day or talking to one member of the couple uh, where he's very much, you know, he thinks it's just great to get up at three o'clock in the morning. He just thinks it's the most wonderful thing in the world. Here's one right here. And, uh, oh, slacker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there there we go. Let's just use this, these two. And, and so, uh, yeah, and she is not, you know, she sleeps in and, um, uh, yeah, and so, but they've worked it out to where that allows him that quiet time and not just for the word either. He has other study he does, he works out, he does stuff, but he does have that time for God. And that's what we've always had to do. You have to figure it out if you're a couple or if you have children, you have little children. And I know, and people say, yeah, but we have little kids. We can't, you have to, you've got to figure it out. Yeah, you've got to have that time with God. So you've got to create a space somewhere. And if you can't do it first, the, the, I mean, according to the scripture, the best place is first thing in the morning because your day's clean. You're just starting out. It sets the course of your day. It's absolutely the best time. But if you absolutely can't do that, then find another spot in your day or find several, you know. I mean, I used to take lunchtime too. A lot of times I have time in the morning, but then at lunchtime I could go off by myself and, I'd add half an hour and, you know, I could spend a little bit of time meditating the word, you know. So anyway, but you got to find it. Seeds need space. It needs space in your heart, obviously, but it also needs, it just needs, it needs to be planted and, and that requires space and time. Seeds have to be planted in an environment that's designed to work with them. We have to put them in soil or something. I mean, I know there are other things you can grow stuff in these days, but but generally speaking, you got to put it in soil. It doesn't do much good to just put it out on the pavement, you know. And that, and but God designed our hearts for that. It's actually designed to work with the with the seed. And and again, it's not when you plant a seed, you don't expect for it to grow into a full size plant by the next day, you know. I mean, you you don't expect that. And it's the same with the word. It's this is a process. This is an ongoing process and and of again and of nurturing you know Paul talked about I planted Apollos watered well what's that well that's God continuing to speak to you are you hearing some good teaching on it or during a time of worship I don't know the Holy Spirit waters the seed and causes it to put down deep roots I mean we could go through all of that if you think through the whole process and again Mark chapter 4 Jesus uh, really uh, through about three parables there really gives us a lot on that Seeds need warmth, they need water, they need light. There's stuff that they need, okay? And they have to have them. They need time to germinate, put down roots, and develop into the plant that's held in that seed. It's in there. It's in there. And it will come up, but it doesn't happen instantly. All right, let's go on. Let's try and finish this. Uh, James 1, verse 22, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. That's pretty interesting. Do what it says. So don't just listen to it. Do it. Otherwise, you're going to deceive yourself. All right? Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he's like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. I wish we had time to talk about that phrase tonight. We don't. But, you know, we think of he's speaking primarily. He was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So a lot of these people were converted Jews. So he, he talks about the law, but it's a law that gives freedom. It's not a law 
that brings bondage. It's not just rules and regulations. The word of God, it's a law, but it is a law that produces freedom. But the man who looks into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So let me give you a couple of definitions there. So it's really interesting. He says, do not merely listen to the word. That word listen comes from a Greek word. I love this. I I don't think I ever saw this before today. Comes from a Greek word that meant to hear a sound with pleasure. Okay, so this is a pleasurable thing, but you're hearing a sound with pleasure. It was most often used of listening to something being read or recited or played on an instrument or sung for the purpose of entertainment with no intention of practicing what was being heard. So essentially you're coming, you're listening to somebody read poetry, you're listening to somebody, uh, well, it's supposed to be pleasant, so it couldn't be poetry. Uh, you're listening to something being recited, you know, played, sung, it's, and it's for the purpose of entertainment. It's for your pleasure. And while hearing the word, I find that very pleasurable. That's not the point of it. And, and when I sit and, you know, I might sit here and enjoy, uh, you know, we've got to kind of take it out of the context of, of worship because that's different than performance. But, you know, you sit down, you hear a performance, and you, you enjoy the, the instrument and the vocals and whatever. You enjoy that. It's an awesome thing. I don't have any intention of doing that. I can't do that. You know, I I don't have any intention of trying to go practice that. That's what he said. He said, don't merely listen. Don't, Don't just, and you know, people do this that are, boy, people do this with, I mean, they go to meetings, you know, you know, believers meetings just to be entertained. And they, and they like, they get pleasure out of hearing the good message and saying amen and all that, but there's no intention to let that thing get planted in their heart and change them. It's entertainment. It's Christian entertainment. And I mean, you have, you have that in, in meetings all the time. We don't want to be in that place. He says, don't merely listen. Don't be that person. He says, instead, do it. And that, that uh, being a doer, it means to be a craftsman or an artist or a performer or another person that creates something, produces something. So we're coming to the word knowing that it's going to produce something in us. It's going to change us. It's going to change our behavior. It's going to change our thinking. That's the attitude that he's saying to come with. And with that attitude, we'll go out and do something. And he says, if you mistake hearing the word for actually letting the word be engrafted into you and produce something and doing the word, if you mistake that, then you can come to church and you can sit and you can hear a good message with no intention of ever changing and you'll walk out the door deceived, it says. You'll deceive yourself into thinking that's what I was supposed to do. That's, that's Christianity. That's, I did my thing, you know, and, and you'll go out the door actually deceived, it says, because you've confused, you've mistaken hearing the word for doing the word. And again, I still, even in saying all that, I want us, that's why I spent so much time at the beginning saying, I still don't want us to take it like it's just a manual and we're going to hear it and then just try to do it. It is okay though. So what am I trying to say? We want to take it as seed, 
knowing the power and the life that's in it is going to change me and it will ultimately change the way I think and my behavior. So I have an intention about the word. I'm here to receive it as seed and food and spirit watering me and all that. I'm not just here to be entertained. I'm not just here for the pleasure of hearing a good message, okay? But at the same time, uh, we can hear the word and realize, wow, that's, that's God's word, and I need to change something, and I can start changing it and doing it before it's come to full fruition in my heart. I can just, do you know what I'm saying? I can decide to obey the word before it's really engaged my heart when I hear it. I can do that, and I should do that, but I shouldn't stop there. I, sh- I should realize that, okay, I see that the word says this, just we'll take a real practical one about giving. Annie stands up and says something great to us about tithing or something on Sunday morning. It's like, you know, I haven't been doing that or I haven't brought that attitude or, you know, I haven't been a good steward or something. And so I make the decision right there. I'm going to obey that word. I'm going to go out of here and be a doer. That's okay. But I also need to realize, okay, I need more of that seed. I need to take what she said. I need to write it down. I need to get the... We don't, never mind. We, we don't record that part of the service. Um, I need to get a book. You know, I, she always recommends 14 books when she does those teachings. I need to get at least two of those and start reading through those. And I need to, the point is I need to keep seeding and watering, seeding and watering, seeding and watering. So that eventually that word produces something in me and I actually become a generous person. I don't even have to think about it anymore. I'm just doing it. And I've become a doer of the word. So what I'm trying to say is, it's not legalism to just obey the word. It's also not hypocrisy to do something that you don't feel emotionally entirely yet. People think that, you know, and we've said this a lot, they think that hypocrisy means acting on something that they don't feel. It's not that their feelings are not supporting, that their emotions are not supporting. That's not hypocrisy. Doing the right thing because you know what the right it's the right thing, even though your emotions are not supporting it. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is doing something that is contrary to the convictions of your heart, pretending to be or to believe something that you you don't have any conviction about at all. You know, you're just trying to put on a show. It's play acting, okay? So it's important to realize you can just do the word. You can hear it and you can do it, just realize that there's a greater dynamic to it. You've got to take it in like seed. You've got, to, um, you've got to keep at it. You've got to constantly be hearing it and allow it to develop and germinate and produce. Okay. Oh, man, it's late. Darn it. Okay, just two ideas and then I'll quit so you guys can talk a little bit. So there's two main ideas here of what he's talking about in that passage that we just read. Um, he's saying... You know, like we just said, don't, don't, when you don't allow the word to be germinated and rooted and produced and all that, you come just for entertainment value. You're really missing the point of the word. And that's why he says, it's like a person who looks into a mirror, but then they go away and they completely forget what they saw. The other day I, I got here in the morning and, and took my helmet off and my hair was all like this. And I kind of forgot, usually I at least throw a brush through it when that happens, but Anyway, I didn't, and then I went by mirrors a number of times through the day, and I don't know what time I mentioned it to you. It was maybe 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's like, I still haven't combed my hair, you know. Yeah, I know. But 
it was just, and it wasn't a big deal. It was, but it was just like, I'm not using the mirror. I mean, I'm seeing the mirror, but I'm not using the mirror for its intended purpose, which means I'm going to do something about what I see in the mirror. So that's, so that's why he says, it's like a person looking into, into a mirror and then they completely forget who they are. You're missing the point of the mirror, the word. You're missing the point of it. You're just seeing it, but not doing anything with it. Okay, and the second main idea there is that the word acts like a mirror. And when you look into the word, when you look into a mirror, who do you see? All right, I knew somebody would know. You see you. When you look into the word, you see you. Even if the word is saying, God is gracious, God is good, you are a child of God. You have his nature on the inside of you. When we see those kinds of things, or we see you are the righteousness of God in Christ. I don't feel like the righteousness of God in Christ, but the mirror, when I look into it, says you are the righteousness of God in Christ. It tells you who you are. And if you look into that mirror, and here's what people do, they look into that mirror and they see uh, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You are a beloved child of God. God loves you with all of his heart. You see those kinds of scriptures and you look in the mirror and you say, no, that's somebody else. That's, that's Joel that God loves so much, not me. That's not me in the mirror. No, it is you in the mirror. And the, and the word does that. The word, when we see Jesus, and the, the awesome thing is, it has the power to change us into what we see in the mirror. And I don't have time to finish this tonight. So I'll just give you the scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 talks about how we, when we continue to behold in the word of God, the Amplified says, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, when we see God's essence, we are transformed into that same image. So when we see him in the word, that's where the word, the seed goes into our heart. The life goes out. The, the power to change our heart. All those scriptures we just read, we see the glory of the Lord and we are transformed. And that word transformed is the exact same word that is used of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. We spent time in the Father and came out glowing. It is a, it is a manifestation of God's presence and glory can be found by looking into the word. That word looks like a mirror. So next time you're looking in the word and it's telling you something about you and your salvation, one of those in him scriptures, in him you are this, in him through Christ, you can do all things. Don't say, that's not me. It is you. And the word will actually, it has the power to bring that truth to pass in your life. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.